What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com here with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, taking a look at cannabis across the map and beyond. Today, we have special guest Holly Holly Alberti, Senior Director of Marketing at Berkshire Roots in Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Holly? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, Mitch? I am doing great, joining you from the exact opposite side of the map. Um, Man, you know, I know we recently got to connect in person out there during Boston Cannabis Week. We'll talk about that here in a little bit later. But we usually kick these off talking about your history, introducing yourself and your history around the plant. Or if you don't really want to diverge or be vulnerable with that, you can just talk about your history or origin within this industry. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm very passionate about the plant, so I don't have a problem talking about that. Um, years ago, uh, I got involved in uh, just this industry as a whole. I'm really just trying to be an advocate for patients because that was, you know, the the marketplace that we had at that time. Or actually, it was before we even had a market for medical here in Massachusetts. Um, and there were some small groups um, that I would, you know, speak with or work with, and then. Sure enough, got involved with the medical program here in Massachusetts, getting that on the ballot initiative um, and doing everything that I could to be able to convince folks that the sky wouldn't fall if they were to introduce a medical program. Um, and, you know, I really just got involved in a couple of different ways, um, helping launch some businesses. I went through an incubator program in Colorado um, with a startup that I launched, which was uh, the first startup for cannabis companies. Um, I spent some time in Colorado. I spent some time in California. And, um, you know, I really just saw this as an opportunity for me to use my voice um, and communicate some of these potential benefits when it comes to cannabis, um, as it was still really demonized at that point. You know, we have made a lot of headway in the last 12 years. Um, but at the, you know, there's still some stereotypes and some, and some thoughts out there that might not be um, correct or maybe misinformed or uneducated. And I really just thought that, that it, it my, it my, uh, I was at the chamber of commerce. Um, so I was a, a membership director and I had a, a, a platform where I could talk to other professionals and really try to bring some, you know, a different perspective into the mix and have those conversations, um, you know, in that role. So uh, fast forward a, a bunch of years and uh, and here I am, you know, I'm running mar marketing, which has been my focus um, in the cannabis industry um, over the last 10 years plus. Man, that is awesome. And it's very unique. And we were talking about that right before we started. It's very unique to have someone whose story um, combines multiple markets in this, multiple state markets in, within this industry, being that this industry is so new. And it's very, very unique to know somebody that has operated in three different markets. That is uh, very unique. Um, so I really look forward to getting a little bit more uh, of your perspective um, on, on this industry. So let's let's start a little bit of like Berkshire Roots. Could you give me a little bit of the history and the origin of, of, of the company there? Absolutely. So Berkshire Roots um, was one of the first uh, vertically integrated cannabis companies to start up uh, here in Massachusetts. Um, like the name says, Berkshire Roots, it's in the Berkshires. So all the way to the west, um, farther than a lot of people in Massachusetts actually think where Western Massachusetts actually resides, um, is, a, is a great uh, spot in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And that's where Berkshire Roots started with um, their vertically integrated location. So their cultivation facility, their retail location, and that was under the medical program. And then later uh, in 2019, when the adult use program came on board, um, they did move forward with that. So they had their adult use and medical program. Um, and then in 2020, we actually had the, um, the you know, amazing opportunity it was july of 2020 and opening up the boston location so that's a retail only location in boston um and it's right in, in Eastie, as, as it's known in Massachusetts. Um, so they really prided themselves when, when they were starting out as really keeping that medical focus. Um, you know, it was really important as they were transitioning into the meta, into the recreational or adult use side of things, um, that, that they kept that at attention as well as that connection um, to the medical uh, community. And it's been an absolute experience and pleasure working with the team there. Um, I joined on... Um, 
in July. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, July, the beginning of July of 2020. And so I literally came on board. We opened up the East Boston location. Um, and here we are, which it feels like it was only a couple of months ago. Um, but as you know, it's, you know, a little, a little over a year, a year and a half at this point. It's been quite the year and a half, you know, I mean, you started a little bit in July, you know, COVID was still going on, but that definitely has had time stand still, but also speed up is what, you know, what it personally feels like. And so coming from an industry in Massachusetts, in the medical, where you had to be vertically integrated to adult use, which has kind of opened it up, but also, you know, going from a patient model where there's a real cap on your potential consumer base. Or, or patient, you know, patients, not necessarily consumers at that point, but opening up to adult use where now every anyone over the age is a consumer, um, you know, that that widens the the demand, but the supply might not quite be there. So what what have, what were some of the challenges early in that market? And are you guys still dealing with them in terms of supply and demand in, in the Massachusetts market? Um, yeah, I mean, to the point, you know, as, as a as a medical consumer, there are a lot of barriers to entry. You know, it's, it costs. You have to be put onto a list. Um, there's a lot of reasons why folks wouldn't want to be on or, or part or participation in this medical program. Um, so with adult use coming on board, you know, the, the team really identified what they would need to be able to make sure that they had enough. Um, they There was some limiting in the early days, and that happened really um, in, a, in a bunch of locations uh you know, throughout the state, the way that it went from medical to adult use, um, there was only a few licenses that had come on board, uh, you know, right out the get go. So we saw really long lines at some of these different operators because, you know, supply and demand, you've got East, the Mississippi, essentially at that time, you know, recreational cannabis or adult use cannabis. So there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of demand. Um, for Berkshire Roots, you know, it was really something, again, that they worked closely with, um, you know, internally to make sure that they were they were producing enough. Um, obviously, the canopy size and, and, and what we have at our fingertips is going to, you know, dictate that. Um, but then, of course, working with some of the other partners um, in, in the state where we can wholesale to each other um, is always an opportunity and a way for us to bring in additional variety for our customers and our medical patients, um, and as well as to kind of spread that, you know, that availability and that supply around. So, you know, for, uh, you know, Berkshire Roots, over the course of, you know, where we were in 2019 to here we are in almost 2022, um, you know, it's been... Uh, there's some ebbs and flows, of course, but been able to maintain it uh, really well. And what do you, what do you envision? Because you've had some time in some other markets. What do you envision are kind of the pros and cons of a vertically integrated market as opposed to you know another market? You know, California, you can have vertical integration, but it's not. You don't have to, right? Like it's kind of some people do, some people don't. Massachusetts is obviously going that way, but its its roots are very much uh, embedded in a vertically integrated market. Yeah, and I think, you know, in my personal opinion, I think that that's the way that we came to be with some of this uh, legislation, you know, as a voter initiative ballot that was for the medical program, right? So it was like, we the people pushed that. Um, and then it was all of a sudden, you know, we, we had an additional um, campaign for regulation of cannabis and an adult use recreational level. And I think that, you know, um, it was just by default of how things were set up in the system, you know, so that, you know, that that was the way the licensing procedure had gone. So, you know, I think that there's, um, there's a huge adjustment happening right now in the market where there are these additional licenses, retail only, manufacturing only. And I can't tell you the, the amount or the count. I apologize of how many uh, retailers are open across the state, but there's more and more every day in the CCC, our Cannabis Control Commission, um, you know, is actively working through the log of applications um, to bring those guys on board or bring these different programs up and running. So I think that, you know, we'll see some different um, potentials or different opportunities for folks in the future. Um, but I do think that it's it, maybe just a natural progression of the market. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. Um, but I think it's obviously advantageous for all to have those multiple licenses and just more choices at the end of the day for the consumer. It's definitely going to help us all, I think, um, as retailers as well, become stronger with the variety and, and different partnerships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't agree more on what you said. It's definitely to the advantage of everyone to have more selection. And I, I, I like the, the free market, if you will, but the ability to have vertical integration, like I was sharing right before we started, I live in Washington state where like vertical integration is like against the rules and which is great. I mean, it provides a great selection and there's some pros and cons of that, but it also 
inhibits a few things where you find, you know, brands that build a really good name from maybe the cultivation side and then jump into retail and just have more to offer or vice versa, a retail side that really builds a brand on that and is able to bring in something else. And it just, it just creates cool dynamics and in other industries it's allowed. So it's weird when they restrict it or make it, you know, only one way or the other. I, I, I'm not sure it's, it's, but I, I agree. I think, I think it looks great. So what are, you guys are obviously vertically integrated. You have two retail locations, manufacturing, and cultivation. What are some of the the main or popular products that you guys offer that you also uh, curate your guys itself? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it all starts in the garden with um, all of the flour that we cultivate, and then that's manufactured into um, our amazing other products. We actually just opened our, a new lab. Uh, we were operating in a, in a um, limitations on what we could use for um, our you know, processing. And we just moved into a C1D1 space uh, this last couple of months. So it's really amazing to see what the lab team can produce. We have a, um, a great uh, director, Kayla, who has been producing a lot of amazing um, new concentrates, which I've been excited to see come up, come into, into the environment. Um, and we also, you know, again, it all stems from that flower. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the edibles that we've been producing have really just been, we really focus on innovation. And we're always looking to be able to bring new products, again, in the best manner to our customers. And Berkshire Roots was known and has won a couple of awards for their chews, which, you know, I know that gummies um, tend to be a, a category that I feel like people can relate to, you know, we see them, obviously, um, it's, it's a familiar product for a lot of people. And so we had some really great results with our, um, our standard chews, and those are made um, actually in full spectrum availability as well. And then we have some higher CBD ratios. And we took those kind of the, to the next level because we saw that a, a lot of folks were enjoying them, and but we wanted to try to get some better ingredients, recognizing that there's all, all sorts of allergies as well, and we want to be conscious to that. So we've developed this new, um, you know, it's like a, it's a chew, but it melts in your mouth. It's like a, mm. it's like a fruit pate, and it's called the Roots Fruits, and it's, you know, and it's a little square, so it kind of looks like a gummy, but when you, you know, put it in your mouth, it literally just melts in your mouth, and it's got an amazing flavor, and it's super limited ingredients. I believe there's like five ingredients in there. So again, trying to continue to innovate and go down that pathway of just creating better and better things. Um, you know, that's one of the, one of the things that I I'm very excited about. Um, we really do again on the edible side, I'm obviously a fan, the chocolate that we use for our, um, our chocolates, which we have a couple of different, um, bars that we produce. We have just our four, one, three chocolate bar and milk chocolate and dark chocolate. And then we've got another chocolate bar that actually is a combination of cold brew coffee from a local roastery, mm. um, which coffee, cannabis, chocolate, like three of my favorite things all smushed together in a nice little package. Um, the cold brew chocolate bar is, is really just, again, it, the quality premium chocolate that we use really shines through. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that one, but it all stems from that flower. And we've got amazing folks in our cultivation um, that make sure that all of our plants are handled with, you know, the utmost care, but also a scrutiny and level of just the uh, sanitization. As you know, cultivation spaces um, can be vulnerable and they have to be treated um, with the respect that they deserve as well. So our team does a fantastic job of making sure that um, from you know the genetics all the way through um, to getting them into our curing department, you know, and then from there to trim and our cultivation team, you know, all the way through, really, it does make a difference um, and shine through when you kind of go that extra level. Yeah, and, and I I know from talking to people on the streets, your guys's name came up when it came. You know, when I was asking around for flour, your, your guys's name definitely came up on 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 the streets when the streets were talking as, as someone that was producing good flour out there. I want to ask one more or, or take it back to the edibles for a second. Um, yeah. I thought that was unique. The the roots fruit. You said it melts in your mouth, which I I'm not I'm not understanding all the science of it, but I believe that also provides like a sublingual distribution of thc right where you when you eat a uh, eat a regular thing and it goes to your stomach it distributes the thc that way but i think when it melts in your mouth i think it distributes the thc or cbd in a little bit different way um, you're correct okay it, yeah it, I, I had it a, passes, passes that blood brain barrier quicker and sublingually right and you're yeah. absolutely correct 
Yeah, I had a chef break that down for me, and I was he was he was I was asking him what's your favorite type of edible, and he had said, well, it, de it depends, you know, what kind of distribution method. And I was like, oh, oh wow, I didn't I never even knew, but that makes sense. Um, are you guys restricted? I believe when I was out there, you guys are restricted to five milligrams per per dose on an edible. Is that true? Or on the adult user recreational side, that is correct. So okay. they would have to be, um, you know, denoted and dosed out at the five milligram, and then we have a maximum on that at a hundred milligrams. So the chocolate okay. bar would be total of a hundred milligrams, and each little piece would be five. Got it. And then, but when you do individually wrapped uh edibles do they need to be five milligrams a piece is that correct um yeah uh, uh for the adult use side they would yes okay. yeah that's how they kind of want everything to be identified and packaged um and then of course you know it's few and far between for the things that are individually wrapped even our cookies um we had a 40 milligram one solid cookie on the medical okay. side we had to create we actually call them cookie clones because it's just a replica of the of the 40 milli in a five milligram cookie. Okay. And so now we're able to produce that and sell that to our adult use recreational consumer. Yeah, that's that's very unique. And it's unique to see, like even again, comparing to other states, like it just, I mean, even on the beverage side in Washington, the 100 milligram beverage is the highest selling beverage. But when you look at California, the can, the 2.5, the five milligram is the highest selling beverage, I think by volume. So are you guys restricted on beverage count to be five milligrams per beverage for adult use as well? Yeah, so that's, um, I think that for, for newer consumers, you know, again, it's not an issue, but we have some folks that are looking for, you know, higher caliber. Again, on the medical side, you can get a seltzer that's maybe 17, 20 milligrams, you know, total in the can. But recreational, you'll see, you know, five is the max. A lot of uh, the companies too, we have a few out here um, that are creating a ratio. So it's higher CBD or there's a one-to-one -one or, 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 or something of that nature. Um, again, I think that we're still nascent in the market and mm -hmm. there's a lot of education and then a lot of new consumers that are coming on board. So that works perfect because it's an easier, you know, place to start. Um, there's a couple companies out there that have maybe like a syrup that you could add. So mm. you're able to maybe take that ride on your, you know, what, what, what works best for you. So if it's 20 milligrams total in that little, again, that would only be allowed on the, the, uh, adult use side, I'm sorry, on the medical side. Um, but you could increase the amount. So if you want to put the whole 20 milligrams into your cup of, you know, soda, you could do that. Yeah. And that's, and it's, and it's great. And I, and I, I like how you brought that up for the new consumer and especially in a market like your eyes, that's, that's new. And, and that's one of the, I guess the biggest issues, right. When it comes to cannabis, especially edibles is like proper dosing, making sure people don't get too high. The stigma around edibles is, you know, for good reason for homemade brownies of getting laid <laughs> out flat and not, not knowing what's in your dose. But I think, you know, the, the beverage market especially is is for a lot of new consumers. It's familiar to, you know, alcohol or, or something else if you're getting into cannabis. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's great to ease your way in with a five milligram beverage instead of, you know, playing with fire with a hundred milligram. But it does create some issues for the legacy user that is a higher dose that's like, you know, I'm not trying to drink 10 seltzers to get where I'm trying to go, you know, but, you know, if you have legal cannabis available, that that is the biggest blessing and you can't have too many complaints after the fact. It's, it's the truth. We see a lot of folks who are coming in that say it's my first time, you know, consuming cannabis or it's the first time consuming cannabis in 20, 30 years. Um, so we recognize that, again, um, this because it has been prohib prohibited from us for so long, um, there's still a lot of newer users out there and we just want to meet everybody where they're at, right? So if we have somebody who comes in and they've been a medical patient for a long time, or they're looking for something that's, you know, higher strength, there's ways to work around that too, with like a distillate applicator, right? You can get mm -hmm. a gram of, um, you know, we call it an applicator, but the dispenser, the syringe style one, you can be able to, you know, again, create something DIY style. And so a lot of times we'll work with the patient, the customer, and just educate them of what their, what their options might be. Absolutely. And so, you know, one thing I wanted to ask with, you know, adult use being relatively new to Massachusetts and you got in for the East Coast, you, you know, kind of guys have been leading the charge for that upper Northeast of, of adult use cannabis. I know New Jersey, New York, it's a lot of the a lot of the hype, but they're not quite there yet. And you guys are operating. So where, where do you see Massachusetts fitting in into the legalization and the cannabis kind of culture on, on the in the Northeast? 
It's, um, you know, I think it's it's going to be interesting to definitely watch New York. Um, there's a little bit of time, obviously, before they can um, have everything up and ready. But I am um, excited about some of their, um, you know, their on on-site consumption, social lounge situation. Because, again, that was something that I did experience at Harborside. Um, and it's been something that the Massachusetts market has been, um, you know, missing and we really don't have any locations where people can go to consume their medicine their their cannabis and i think that is a a little bit of a disconnect i think it's great to see um of course being my home state and being in other states and participating in this space is like it was amazing to see us be the first and it was really great to kind of see the initiative that they've taken within some specific areas. I do think that we have um, room to grow. There's a lot of opportunity, obviously, in multiple states and how we can get better and what we can do differently. Um, but, you know, I think that for Massachusetts, you know, Boston has always kind of had that, um, you know, just a, a a launch pad, whether that's on the tech sector or, you know, different startups, there's a lot that's happening in the city. And then outside, you know, of this, uh, in the remainder of the state, there's a lot of amazing companies that have started here or are based here. And I just think that that innovation, again, is something that we'll continue to see as the market within mass. And then, of course, I'm just curious of, of all the different um, you know, brands, these individual brands that are kind of, you know, coming on board. It's really awesome to see some of the, the different, um, the different groups getting together and what they're bringing to the table, pushing it again, bringing that to the next level, um, of what's available for the customer. Absolutely. And so obviously, you know, I know your guys is, you guys take a lot of pride in your products and your, your in-house brand that you sell at, at the store, but what are some other brands, you know, that are, customers may ask for by name or have really done a good job carving out artists. Doesn't have to say your favorite or by saying some and not saying some doesn't exclude others, but just, just some of the brands that, that are carving out a name or demand out there. Definitely. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of answer on, on both spectrums, right? So like the new consumer, I think um, Incredibles has done an incredible job on getting their brand out there, right? So as, you know, a larger um, operator in multiple states, um, you know, they've got streaming videos on Roku platforms and all these different areas. So the consumer is really getting that awareness, right? They're they're looking for some of these things because they're being being you know exposed to them, so they're familiar with them. Um, I think that's for the new consumer. They're they're limited at where they're digesting their information. Like there's the leaflies out there. Um, there's the publications that are specific to cannabis. Of course, there's social media. Um, and it all depends on where that person, that consumer is living, right? Um, and so if, if they read Boston Magazine and they see an ad for Berkshire Roots, you know, in our East Boston location, like that might be their connection back to it. But I think that, you know, for the most part, we're starting to see, um, you know, just I apologize because my train of thought is going down another path now. And I had said that to you when we started, I was going to, you know, get kind of uh, <laughs> caught up on that. But I think that a lot of these um, larger brands have that ability to kind of spread the awareness in one direction. So that obviously from a marketing standpoint, you get in front of the customer, the customer recognizes and then um, conversions. Right. Um, I think for some of the other brands that maybe have um, a connection into, say, California market. So like Blue River, which is known in California, um, obviously, when they came into the Massachusetts market or Cookies, you know, Cookies has a very well-known brand. So coming into the Massachusetts market, it's easier for them to kind of have that attrition already. Um, so we've been really excited to work with a lot of those folks. Lowell Lil Smokes, actually, um, I was excited to see their pre-rolls, you know, come through because I, I remember what they were doing in Cali and, and just appreciated the small things in, in their joint containers and stuff like that. Um, obviously seeing how they adapt their packaging and putting it into our state as well has been really, you know, fascinating for me specifically. But I think that we, we have folks that will come in um, and if they have a, a, a connection, you know, for Blue River, for instance, we've had a few people who saw that we had that and it's very limited in the state right now. And they had asked for that, you know, per name um, or, you know, like, as I mentioned, the Incredibles or some of the other like larger plays that are out there that are just getting in front of the customer. Um, so it's been really interesting to see 
you know, how people are presenting themselves and uh, being able to get in front of the customer. Again, we do have a lot of limitations from a marketing mm-hmm. standpoint. So a lot of times, um, you know, for, for a Massachusetts based company um, like coast cannabis, they're, you know, located uh, pretty close to the coast um, and they're a smaller operator. They're, they're a great business. They have amazing products. Um, they did win some high times awards. So that additional, you know, stamp um, gave them some additional elevation and exposure. Um, and that's something that folks would come in and say, hey, do you have the Coast S'mores bar or something of that nature? Um, which we love, of course, having that customer come in and having a little bit of education. But but again, we do have folks that come in and they're just like, hey, I'm looking for this, this and this, or I'm looking to help this. And then, of course, we work with them best and identify what would what would make sense. Yeah. And there's, there's a few that I, I want to revisit some of those marketing limitations. But first, I want to build off of that last point is you know, in being a newer market, obviously coming from Colorado, you know, having experience in Colorado, which is the first market to have recreational cannabis and then California, which is the most, although they're not anywhere close to the first of having recreational cannabis, they are the most mature cannabis market out there. I, I think it's safe to say is what, I don't know how to describe that properly, but cannabis has been normalized and accept, accessible in that state for so long, you know, it's rooted in the culture, but for you guys to get adult use, you know, and, and again, being the first out there, so you don't have this kind of influence of brands and education and information, right? Coming out of the black market or limited medical market where there's a lack of, of education, a lack of distribution of education. What are you kind of seeing with the consumer base um, mm-hmm. of just around their, their understanding of cannabis and kind of where do you feel they're at on their, their journey and their path to understanding this plant? Yeah, again, I think there's definitely a spectrum of consumers that we see. There's definitely heavily, heavily educated folks that come in and and, and drop knowledge. Um, and then there's consumers that are really confused about all the different cannabinoids. They've heard about CBD. They don't quite understand the difference between THC, CBD. They have no idea that there's other cannabinoids that exist. Um, they're not familiar with the endocannabinoid system. You know, there's a lot of a lack of education again, and that's just because it's been restricted from our fingertips for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as anything, you know, with its footwear or apparel trends are what generate that, you know, consumer to maybe go a certain direction. So if they hear CBD over and over again, and they're getting advertised really for it, um, we do have questions about that all the time. But again, I think that they come at it from, um, there's a lot of two, there's a lot of differences too when we talk about how we, um, I'm not the best person to speak to this, but from the regulation of hemp versus cannabis, mm. um, the Massachusetts Department of Agriculture overlooks or oversees the MDARS, the governing body for hemp. The CCC is cannabis. So you can go to a store like, you know, your gas station bodega and there would be flour, CBD flour and gummies for sale. Hmm. The customer doesn't understand that there's a difference or how that's regulated or what's going on. And they just don't understand why, like, why can't I just buy this here? And what's different about it? Why hmm. is this not going to be the same as, you know, uh, something that you guys are producing here? Right? So there's a lot of confusion about that. And then, of course, we have people who... Um, and maybe these aren't just the new consumers, but we have a lot of people who are chasing THC levels. So, you know, it's, we have a, we have a, on our packaging, we have TAC, which is total active cannabinoids, mm-hmm. which can confuse people as well. But we have a lot of folks who come in and they just, you know, what's your highest THC? And we really do try to provide education about just the, the ensemble effect, the understanding of that there are more cannabinoids than just THC and try to be able to provide them with some information. We had a, a blueberry cookie strain that was, you know, a lower test. And I say lower tester based off of the, you know, the standards, it was like 14% THC. And we had some people that just turned up their noses, like, wow, I can't be bothered. That's so low. And it, they were blown away after <laughs> consuming it because the terpene profile, you know, again, gave a different effect. So we were really excited to see some of those consumers who we just said, hey, this is just an educational piece. We just want to tell you a little bit of information. 
And then when we opened up their mind and they were willing to try the product, they actually saw like the proof in the pudding. So I think that that was, you know, a little bit more concrete for them to say, maybe there is a little bit more validity to this. And we're starting to see more, you know, like I'll say Leafly, I think just put an article out about it. So we're starting to see more articles coming out about these misconceptions of, you know, what's good or what's the best or what's going to get me a certain way. Um, so we do see that a lot as well. And then I think that, you know, overall people are just like, you know, still questioning, like, how do I consume? What's the proper way to do this? And we, we offer a couple of different solutions too. We have actually a, a, a virtual um, customer care team. So our customer care team is um, available on our website, like during our hours of operation. So like our little chat bubble, there's a person behind there that's there mm. to be able to provide any, you know, no question is ever out of place or stupid. You know, we want people to feel like they have a place to come and just ask the question that maybe they're jogging around their brain like, oh, this, no one would ask this question. It's like, no, a million people have, please come, <laughs> you know, ask us. Um, and we do offer phone consultations um, if folks aren't, you know, savvy with this type of technology and want to be able to have a conversation with somebody. And then somebody that needs a little bit more information or maybe is experience a product for the first time or needs to know how to use something, they can get on a virtual consultation with one of our customer care folks as well and go through a demonstration. Um, you're familiar with the Dablicator because that originated in the West, in the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, yeah. So the Dablicator is this little dosed mechanism, which we're excited you know, to have that um, filled with our great extracts. Orange Chameleon actually is one of them. And we had some folks that just didn't know how there's a little click, you click it a couple times and that doses out, um, you know, a measured dose for you. But again, it's, it's a new device. It's confusing. It's a little overwhelming. It's concentrates. People might not understand. And sometimes the directions maybe are, um, you know, not as cumbersome as they should be on the boxes because we are limited at the space. So something like that, we want people to be comfortable after they've purchased that. And we want them to be comfortable before they come in and purchase and get all of that information. Um, so we really try to do as much as we can to, to, to alleviate some of those um, those questions that people have about cannabis, whether they're a new user or, you know, a connoisseur. Yeah. And it's it's unique, you know, when people are too nervous to ask questions. But when you go to Google, I don't know if you've ever done that, where you start typing in like what is or how is and you see the top ask questions that, you know, if, if you ever are scared that you have a dumb question, go try that and see <laughs> see the yes. level of questions that are are trending on Google. And, you know, you'll feel more comfortable. But it, it is unique. You know, the THC conversation, I honestly just had this epiphany while you're talking, because when I was in out there in mass, like, when I went into a couple dispensaries, not your guys's, and I, I don't want to name them, that was like, I was like, what's your guys's best weed? And like, well, I just organized them by THC percentage. And I'm like, all right, I get most people coming here, but that's not what I asked. All right. I don't right. need the, don't, I don't, that's the last thing that I want to consider. And right. they just like, wouldn't get past the bud tender wouldn't get past that. I'm like, what is it with this market? But when I look at California, and that's, you know, again, we just said it's the most educated, elevated market. Yeah. THC still rules in that, you know, like no matter what the store thinks, no matter what people in the industry, they feel like they're screaming at a wall. It doesn't matter. But the stores literally can't even buy weed unless it has a certain level because it won't sell even in the, you know, whether it's an infant or a mature market, this THC percentage level just is plaguing us so heavily right now. I know. And I like I, it may take a campaign of all like the heavy hitters in the industry to be like, hey, it's not all about THC. Um, and I think we'll get there. I, I have I hope I have hopes I have this conversation on a regular basis. I think we'll get there, but it may not be as quick as I would like it to be. Absolutely. And because that's, you know, some of the cultivators I know are like, dude, the strain is killing it, but I can't get it to test above 19 percent and nobody will buy it. So, uh, you know, like. I, I don't need, I can't even produce it. And it's like, I want to smoke that flower. I want that flower to be produced in bulk. Like, God damn it. What do you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Get these people up there. So, you know, I want to take it back a little bit to the, the, the market, the limitations around marketing for the Massachusetts market. Everywhere has things that are unique to them, but I know you guys have had some, you know, like most things when you start out are can be quite restrictive and some things not quite make sense and then they provide further clarification. But what are some of the limitations you guys are faced with out there? What are some of the ones that you guys have overcame since the market came online? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, again, it's just, it's an, it's an early space. So um, as the commission figures some of these pieces out, we, you know, we'll get updates to the regulations. Um, But, you know, early on this, you know, this shirt that I'm wearing uh, really was, uh, we weren't clear if it was allowed as as operators. And so, you know, people were producing apparel with their logo on them or different components. Um, and we weren't able to to sell them. Um, we weren't able to give them away. There was just some gray area um, that we, you know, folks weren't really 100% sure. Um, some people were doing it, some people weren't. But again, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. We, we got an update at the beginning of this year from the regulators that basically alleviated and helped to identify like what we can and cannot put our brand name onto and then sell or, you know, um, use as like a promotional tool. And so, um, you know, like a lighter, like a branded lighter, uh, it was an item that was in question for a really long time. So the clarification at the beginning of 2021, um, was really helpful so that we can, and again, from a marketing standpoint, like I want people to walk around with our Mm -hmm. brand name, you know, that's, that's like any apparel company that's out there, any brand that's out there. It's, it's like, you're a, a walking ambassador. Um, and I, was really excited to be able to see that this was something that they recognize and understood. So, you know, we've produced some items um, and been able to, you know, a keychain, for instance, like stickers. I mean, come on, like everybody's got slaps out there and we want to be able to have those items. So having those additional clarifications have been helpful. Um, Billboards was another big area, like of question. There was, you know, um, could we do it? Could we not do it? And then, there was maybe one or two that explored. And again, billboards are a pretty expensive, you know, monthly spend. So when you're looking at your overall budget um, and there's a, there's a chance that it could get taken down, like you want to make sure you do, do, you do the due diligence. So I think there was some hesitation until we saw, you know, here in Massachusetts, uh, we have the mass pike. If you go down the pike at this Mm -hmm. point, every other billboard is cannabis. Um, And we definitely saw an increase of that in 2020 specifically. Um, I think the nature of the market and how everything was shifting, um, being an essential industry, oddly enough, um, even though we were illegal not too long ago, um, you know, had this really interesting effect on how we participate with advertising in general. And like I said, now people have um, billboards. We've got a, we've got some billboards as well. And it's really great to be able to see how we can get that messaging out there. Um, as you probably are very well aware, social media is mm-hmm. a challenge. You know, we've lost our Instagram handle. Um, we've, you know, gotten currently shadow banned on a lot of platforms as well. Like the notifications that come up and say you're against the community guidelines and you're basically, your post has been taken down. If you do this anymore is a regular occurrence and it's super stressful because it's another channel that we communicate, we educate, um, but it's basically, and this is not you know specific just to the Massachusetts mm-hmm. market, of course, but we are seeing that, um, you know, that's an area that we just get the pushback on um, and mass we only are allowed to, t- we can't do any promotions for the adult use recreational consumer. So medical, we want to do a buy one, get one for a dollar on a special item. We can do that. In the rec space, we can't do any discounts, deals, promotions, specials, or anything like that. Um, so you can't so even have daily or weekly deals or industry discounts. No, no, it's, um, we're allowed to give a discount to our employees. Mm. Um, so it's again, when you're talking about like any other industry and I always use the footwear industry cause I came from that at one point in my life. It's like, here is your item. You want to market it and get the information out there. How do you do so? Um, not the same, not at mm. all. You really have to kind of be creative, think outside the box. I use the word um, square peg round hole on a regular basis, mm. just because sometimes, even though we want to participate with an email uh, campaign, maybe the technology or integration's not there, like every other space would have to see that customer journey. So if the person clicks on the email, clicks on an item, goes to our website, makes the purchase, 
you know, has the purchase, we follow up with an email. That's traditional in every other industry. And some of the restrictions and integrations and pieces that we're facing here, and a lot of it is the nascency of this industry, like we will get there. Um, but some of it is regulatory, you know, um, text messaging has been a, a challenge. Um, and again, not being able to use some of those terms, we, we really, we really have a hard time disseminating the, the communication when we can't use, you know, ca cannabis, marijuana, weed as a descriptor, mm. um, edibles, THC, you know, there's a lot of terms that won't go through certain platforms. Um, and again, it just makes, makes it so that you have to think outside the box and be a little bit creative. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like some of those are not unique to, to Massachusetts. Some of those are really unique. And you know what you said with the, the merchandise, I'm, I'm glad you guys have been able to get clarity because I believe you can, you guys can sell merchandise at the dispensary now, correct? We can now. Yes, this is a newer thing. So like I said, the beginning of the year, I feel like the year again has gone by so quickly, but slow at some point. Um, that was a new introduction so that we can sell branded, you know, branded items. We're not allowed to put our brand name onto an item um, that would, you know, assist in, so like a pipe, we hmm. wouldn't be able to brand the pipe um, that those specifics are kind of laid out and they did give us some additional clarification, which has been extremely helpful. Yeah, that's, that's strange. Like in Washington, for example, you can't, a dispensary can't sell merch at their dispensary. And so often you'll see a dispensary with a CBD or glass shop next door. That's a separate business line. You know, you could have, you know, blah, blah, blah's cannabis and you have blah, blah, blah's glass next door that sells the glass, sells the branded merch, sells the non THC CBD. And it's, it's like, you have to have two licenses, two businesses. And it's, I, it just blows my mind on why it's like that and i love right. when i go to markets like your guys when it's this is a great store it's really well branded oh and there's clothing it like makes it seem more professional and just like a cooler experience you know it feels more like a regular store than this is just a weed store and that's the only thing it's here for exactly i completely agree and i mean I, one of the things you know i mean you see this everywhere else is like you can bring in different things to art on the walls to highlight some mm -hmm. different you know, artists and stuff like that, just to have some different pieces in there. But it's, it is a, is it a little bit of a disconnect when you think about, you know, how fo folks are engaging in the dispensary. Um, and again, I think we have a lot of, of opportunity to improve upon this and hopefully, you know, it's, it's a new market. Yeah. And one of the, you know, one of the things that I noticed that because it was a new market and because, you know, COVID happened so quickly after like your guys's market got adult use and then, it didn't even really get a chance to really ramp up to like full scale of production and excitement before the world got locked down. And so when I went out there and I met you in person, Boston Cannabis Week was like kind of not the first. I know there's a couple of events before that but it was really like the first time the world somewhat started to open up again. And like your guys's community, like excitement was just a word that I consistently use because that's just what I, you felt it. You heard it. So what has the just the culture and community been like? now with adult use and now i won't say COVID's over or dying but it's you know the world's starting to stabilize i guess a little bit it's so true i mean we did um some smaller events at our location in pittsfield like our cannabis you know i i call it the cannabis campus because that's we got the, the location right there our cultivation we got a great parking lot area so we have some space and we did a 420 event all outside we did a 710 event all outside and you could see there was still some hesitation. Like we couldn't have any place where people were congregating. Um, we did have a couple of food trucks, but you weren't allowed to like eat in line. Um, you know, basically you got your, you know, your free sub or your free empanada, but you had to kind of like take it to your car. Um, and I think some of those experiences, of course, were all very specific to COVID. And it was, we, we, we did what we could, right? The adaptability is like the name of the game in cannabis. Like uh, if you're looking for a set straight set of rules, like go someplace else because you're always going to be changing and adapting. Mm -hmm. And so I think that our customers appreciated that we were just trying to do a little something. We actually had, um, we've been inviting a lot of musicians to play while the weather is good. It's 31 degrees right now. So not really cool to play outside, but in the warmer time, we would invite musicians to play outside. Um, so if there was a line, you know, and and, and uh, we've 
again, try to innovate and create different ways so that we don't have folks standing outside. But in July, it's fine. You know, people enjoy that. Um, and bringing in some of those different elements just to kind of like make it fun um, and be able to provide, you know, just something different. But um, I think that with COVID in, in Boston Cannabis Week, like you said, there were a few other events that had been prior, but that was the first time that that event was more, you know, community level, where it was music and entertainment and cannabis, like all coming together in like a really cool space. And that was just super, like you could feel the excitement, like you mm -hmm. said, like it was like this vibration of just people being able to consume cannabis like we'll say that right um that's that's usually not something that can happen in a public space but there was that was happening and people were getting together and coming together and being able to showcase and just talk face to face right everybody's been virtual everybody's been zooming and doing all of this you know connecting digitally but it's different when you get to see somebody mm -hmm. and you get to you know just be there and feel that transfer of energy. And it was, um, it was a great week. It was a week long, as you know, it was a lot of different activities, um, a lot of different events. And it was great to just be able to see everybody um, adapt again in whichever way they could so that they could be present and be able to bring their brands to the, to the community and um, just do it in a really cool, fun, exciting way. You know, they did Boston cannabis week last year um, virtually. So I was, um, I, I spoke on a marketing panel and, um, you know, there was definitely some different, uh, webinars that you could join in, but it wasn't the same. The mm -hmm. really cool part about the digital piece is that we get to bring the community from all different places kind of into our living rooms or our backyards. Right. But, um, there's just a difference when you can get together and connect on that, um, that personal level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, Digital is great, but there's no way to replace that. And I think, you know, um, cannabis is such a community focused, you know, I don't know what, what, what a subject topic, like, you know, before legalization, that's, you know, we shared in community over this plant, the community got this plant legalized. I'm definitely, if you listen to all of our podcast episodes, I say that like almost every time. So I am a broken record, but it is just so, it, it's so important, like cannabis and community just go hand in hand. And so being able to get out there, and whether you're sharing a joint or just sharing ideas and everyone has their own personal joint or, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat. It is just such an important fact of, you know, now this is an industry, but pre-industry, just this, I don't know, this plant and this passion that we share, you know, community is just so important to that. Um, how has the culture around cannabis shifted in Massachusetts since legalization? I'm sure in some ways, not at all. And I'm sure in some ways it's been tidal waves. Oh, yeah. I mean, the tidal wave is like, you know, having a conversation 10 years ago, even or five years ago, you'd get some looks, you know, there's definitely a mentality of folks who just they, they didn't think of this as something that would be um, legal or, you know, an item that that they're looking at. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that I'm not faced with as many. Oh, my God, you work in weed, you know, like that kind of like level of like shock. Um it's more common. I feel like people are more open to have conversations. I can't tell you how many people, you know, um, you know, will talk to like my stepmom and say, you know, you 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 use cannabis. This is this book, and and oh my gosh, you know, and and that just creates this, you know, again on the community side. I think that you tend to buy things from people that you know, like, and trust, mm -hmm. right? That's like marketing 101. And when your family, your community, your close people are talking about their interactions and their experiences, um, that's a great thing. It's it's really helpful. I mean, granted, to, to bring back around to those like horrible brownie experiences, like we don't want people to talk about the right. bad experiences, but we also don't want them to ever have that, right? So education's helpful. If someone says like, oh, you know, I had this experience, maybe that's a learning tool too. Like, don't do what I did. Um, and I just think that it's more accepted, like bottom line. You know, I don't think that it's as faux pas as it used to be or as, you know, risky or whatever. Um, when I was, you know, doing my um, uh, my, my prior to my cannabis years and I would go and speak at an event, um, or, you know, bring up the topic about cannabis at my local town meeting, for instance, um, there was that level of like, how could you, there's an opiate epidemic and how could you ever want to bring drugs legal and, uh, and 
this sky falling mentality, this reefer madness mentality where, you know, it just is like, listen, let me provide you with some information and some education. Like here are some studies that have been done in Israel and outside of our the United States. And here are some studies that are being done now in the United States. So more and more as we can, you know, provide this information, it becomes more mainstream. It becomes more approachable. Um, and the conversation isn't like it was, you know, like I said, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds about right. And then that's the exciting thing, you know, for many of us that have again, shared a passion around this or, or been consumers of this plant, you know, whether it's for recreation or medicinally for so long, the destigmatization of cannabis since it's been legal. I mean, we still have a long ways to go, but it's, it's, it's now acceptable table talk in a lot of households, you know, to some extent to where you might be excused from the table years ago if you brought it up. Exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And so, you know, one of the topics that we that constantly come up when it comes to the East Coast um, is this like thought the East Coast and the Midwest too, which I know you guys are in the Midwest, but is this, you know, MSOs are really targeting to, to bring heavy presence on these emerging markets rather than competing on these established West Coast markets. That's a whole nother conversation itself. But there's this conversation of people that are from the culture equality that are like, you know, the anti MSO, we need craft. Um, I think I've talked to a couple of people where like MSO is a tricky term because there are craft brands that are in two states. So by definition, they're a multi-state operator, you know, and and so I think MSOs, I don't know, it's, it's a weird conversation. But do you think from your, your standpoint on the ground level, do consumers care? And I'm not here to bash MSOs or not, but do consumers care? Or is that conversation come up from patients or consumers very often or do they not really as hip or care about it? I think um you know, I think that it's probably more, um, you know, relevant to say like us, you know, folks that have been around and understand like where we came from and what we had to do to get to where we are today. I think that it does, you know, it, there are some folks that, you know, kind of have like a preconceived and, and understanding. I think newer consumers might not understand, um, the structure. Uh, you know, I don't know that they are that, you know, ingrained or they're paying attention. I, I tend to think of this, um, and only for my, you know, for the process of like how I, I'm, how I'm kind of breaking it down, but it's like, I wish more people cared about where their food came from. Mm -hmm. I wish more people cared about their shopping habits when it comes to apparel and what that does when, you know, when you look at where that chain comes from, right? Like it, as with anything in any space, you know, follow back to who is behind the company and do you support that? I think that again, this is a new space and, 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 you know, like the advocates, we wanted to be able to create something that was a, a fair marketplace that we came from a community perspective with craft cannabis. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything to honor this plant in the best possible way. And I think that there are, um, you know, basic business structures and obviously the way that consumerism works and capitalism works and a lot of different factors that have kind of come to be, but, you know, again, that's another conversation for another day. I just think that, you know, to answer your question, I don't know that the consumer, like the the new consumer who's just experiencing cannabis, even knows what an MSO is. Mm. Um, I think again to your point, like if you if you're a craft operator but you're in two states, you're considered an MSO. So like again, that term maybe doesn't you know how do we differentiate between the level of of ownership? Um, you know, I, I worked for a multi-state operator prior. Um, I worked at Harborside and then I went and worked with Ianthus and then I joined on the Berkshire Roots team um, as a locally owned operator in Massachusetts and and understanding that, um, you know, it's a little bit different when you're working for a public versus private company as well. Um, and I think that people should do just like they do with their alcohol and everything else that they consume, like do your due diligence and find mm -hmm. out who's manufacturing and doing that and where it's coming from. And um, again, you know, like there's going to be people who do drive through 
you know, Mickey D's and, and go on with their day. And, and that's okay too, you know, to each their own and whatever works for them. So I don't know that it is as important. Like when we, we, we are talking about it or um, we're having a conversation um, with some of the OGs, um, I think it definitely comes from a different place. Yeah, I think that's a lot, you know, whether it's that conversation, the THC percent of conver conversation, I think a lot of us that are in just, you know, inside the industry or OGs that have been around this for a long time, I think we often get caught in, you know, an echo chamber, right? Of like, and you think these big topics, oh, it's such a hot topic. And it's like, it's just a hot topic of like people that have been around for 10 years on LinkedIn or in person, you know, it's like, like you said, like the average consumer doesn't care because that was something that like, just looking around that even myself realized, you know, I think I had that real realization this year that that conversation is more of an echo chamber because you get so caught up in the industry and especially over the last year, you know, the majority of my conversations have only been on, you know, through zoom with people in the industry. And I don't, you don't get to touch as many of the people or the people that are, you know, kind of curious, if you will. And right. so th that's a great, a great, uh, great outlook on it. And, and you put very well. So I'll give you uh, props for that. Thanks. And I mean, I, I hope that, you know, we can see craft cannabis thrive. I, I really do like even just like, you know, the farmer market idea, like just being able to have like a different landscape. Again, I think that we're really new when we we're taking something that has been prohibited for so long and illegal in, in so many different ways. So I think that, you know, in, in time, I think we will see some shifts and adjustments within the markets that um, hopefully are more advantageous for, um, you know, some of that small batch cultivation that we're maybe looking for, for, for some aspects. And then, like I said, everybody that needs to go and, and drive through, like people run on Dunkin' Donuts around here, you know, yeah. I, I choose the local coffee shop whenever I possibly can. Yeah. And that's, and it's, I mean, cannabis is going to inevitably, no matter what people would like to see, it's going to inevitably be like any other industry where it's going to be highly commercialized. There's going to be your Mickey D's or your Budweiser's or your Coca-Cola's that sell, you know, own a huge portion of the market, but there's still going to be room for quality, handcrafted, local, you know, people don't just buy, you know, a lot of volume moves on price and accessibility, but there's a lot of people that, that, like you said, choose to spend their dollar, whether it's, I really support the cause or, or this company or just the locality of it, or someone might, I just like the way the box looks, you know, people, consumers buy different products for different reasons, you know, and as long as they're happy and as long as they're get get buying something in my mind as long as they're buying something that's transparent and they're armed with the information to understand said product and and trust it you know even if i wouldn't buy it or not more power to you know let them be happy man exactly we berkshire is we definitely think of ourselves as like the craft beer you know we're we're not the bud light we're not the coors light we really pride ourselves on working with the local community and and doing what we can like the coffee uh, roastery they're in west stockbridge which is you know 20 minutes um you know south of where pittsfield is and that's like a, another local company all of our every month we do a register roundup for different community and charity organizations and we really try to focus on folks that are in our backyard and our neighborhoods, because we know that that impact is going to be, you know, really impactful, of course, for them. Of course, we also work with, you know, larger chapters um, at a federal level too, like um, the Last Prisoners Project. You know, it's not like that's a super hyper local initiative, but we recognize that that's important for us, you know, to participate in um, on a national scale as well. But we really do try to pride ourselves on, you know, in our East Boston location, we're, you know, squeezed in between these little buildings. We're the neighborhood dispensary, you know, it's, um, it's a hustle and bustle. East Eastie is an awesome space with a lot of, you know, um, local folks who are coming into our doors and we want to be thought of as that, that, that neighborhood dispensary. And in Pittsfield, like, even though we might see folks who are traveling a couple of hours to come visit us, we still have that vibe when you walk in that it's like, this is, it's, I, it's not above where I am. It's not a below. It's not shady. It's, mm. it's exactly where I would expect me to be. I feel comfortable when I walk in here. And of course we try to, uh, you know, put the crystals out and get some good vibes going in there like that as well. And the Berkshires has this amazing, um, you know, I know you didn't get a chance to make it out cause it's like three hours from Boston, but it does have a, a lot of beauty behind it. You know, there's um, Greylock Mountain and a lot of elevation and natural elements, you know, the beautiful, beautiful forests and valleys with a, a gorgeous waterways. And all of that really kind of like, 
captures this essence and vibe when you walk mm. into our building and when you walk into our, our, our little retail spots. And we want that to feel to go out through our, you know, our agents, our associates, um, so that the customer has that beautiful experience. And it really comes back to that family mentality. Like we're all working together and we're doing this thing to get, you know, quality tested cannabis out to the customers. Um, and we're, you know, we're a craft spot. We're not, you know, we're not the big dogs. Yeah, and and I've heard good things about the Berkshires uh, from 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 some friends that live out in the area. And uh, yeah, sadly, I was only in the Massachusetts for like fifty hours. I think it was like yeah, slightly okay. over forty eight hours. But I look forward to getting out. I'm gonna go to the. I always have a hard time the west side because on the west coast you can't go any more west where I'm at. So I have a hard time thinking of over here you go east, but over there you go west. So yes. I, I look forward to getting back out to Massachusetts uh, next year in 2022 and, and checking checking you guys out out there um, at, at the flagship location. Is there anything that you guys have planned in, in 2022 that you can let the people know about? Oh, um, well, you know, I can tease a little bit, you know, we're just really excited. I'm personally excited to kind of bridge those connections from the East Coast to the West Coast, because I think that that's something that, you know, um, is is just really amazing for us to be able to do so, you know, some teas on that. Um, and we are going to continue to um, create new product lines, which we're really excited about. Um, and we do want to host some more events. Um, you know, obviously everything is, uh, you know, varied to what's going to be happening um, in the environment around us, but we do have that outside space. We're hoping to be able to bring in more local businesses and allow those folks to use our platform and our space and get introduced to our customers and just bring some great elements to our folks in, in the uh, dispensary as well. And, um, you know, just maybe winning some more awards, you know, our first time at the high times cannabis cup this, this past year um, was the first of, like official um, you know, we've had some other cups uh, come to be as well, like the cultivators cup. So you know, maybe we'll be able to win some more awards, which is really cool as well. Um, but yeah, 2020, we got a bunch of stuff in store. So I'm really excited and looking into the new year. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us today, giving us insight of, of cannabis across, you know, across your journey in the Massachusetts market. For you guys out there that are looking for more information on Berkshire Roots, it's berkshireroots.com. And they have a location in Pittsfield and East Boston or Eastie, as I now learned the, the uh, location in Boston. Um, but Holly, I sincerely appreciate you hopping on the podcast and talking with us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm really excited to be on here and I appreciate uh, what you and Joey and all the crew are doing. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, we got more. We got more stuff to do. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 64. We're about to round out season one at 80 episodes coming here in a week or two. So we'll catch you guys next time.